Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Equalizer contributor Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well. It's weird not having a ton of, uh, you know, domestic soccer to watch, but that's it, that's our reality for the next few months. It's true. It's true. Yeah, the so- like it feels like worldwide. Obviously, soccer is not slowed down a lot, but not a lot happening here. We did have the College Cup, right? Congrats to Florida State. Um, but yeah, not, not a lot happening. Well, there's a lot happening, but not by way of, of game action. Um, so this might be a little bit more free form. We're just going to talk about some of the stuff that happened this past week and stuff that's coming up this week, because it is double draft week. This is, uh, this is the big seven day period where we're going to have both the expansion draft and the college draft about 72 hours uh, after one another. Expansion draft goes first. That's going to be on Thursday. College draft is second. That's on Saturday. Um, you can catch both of those on CBS Sports Properties. I think one of them is on CBS Sports Proper. They're all going to be on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I think internationally you can watch it on Twitch, I think, or I'm not sure. But you can check it out. I think it's going to be. Right. It's going to be highly broadcast. I mean, they've even been doing ads for it on Paramount Plus, which has been pretty cool. Yes. Um, so hopefully, even though the drafts themselves went virtual, uh, that coverage will be extensive. But the expansion draft itself might be a little bit anticlimactic because as we saw in the bigger picture this week, um, a lot of teams were not really interested in participating in it. We have a lot of trades. <laughs> for immunity some things back you know we've seen a a player motion we we saw that sort of start last week we got some of the final pieces of that uh last friday or no it was um yeah last thursday i think was when actually a lot of these dropped so yeah you know in addition to the trades already known we talked about the chicago trade last week we talked about ashlyn harris and ali krieger going to gotham last week the bigger picture there is that both Kalen Sheridan and Didi Heritage have been sent to, to the California teams, Sheridan to San Diego, Heritage to Angel City. Those two are going to be the number one goalkeepers in California. So now that's sort of the piece of that Ashland Harris trade that makes sense. Um, we also saw Portland send Simone Charlie and Tyler Lucy to Angel City for $100,000 in allocation money and a natural 2022 second round draft pick. North Carolina, they completely traded out of the expansion draft. They sent uh, Carrie Ricaro to Angel City and Ann Harad James to San Diego. Uh, we saw partial deals, right? OL Rain sent something to some something to somebody sent sent uh, an asset to Angel City in order to protect their forwards. We saw Washington send an asset to Angel City to protect their allocated players. So we're seeing partial deals as well. Um, all leading me to believe that no one really wants to do this draft, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit of business that was done. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's sort of what could happen when you set up this sort of infrastructure. You allow, you put all of these teams in really weird positions to do really weird things. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is just sort of a, an exaggerated example of a natural consequence that would happen based on the structure of the expansion draft and the trade window that comes beforehand. 
Right. I mean, there are a lot of reasons to to do things like this. Uh, reason number one is that you do have players who want to go to California. And so you should, in, in terms of player of goodwill, you want to facilitate that as much as possible if you're a team. Um, you know, I think the, the the energy right now is that the players, and I don't know how this works for the actual expansion draft itself, but all the players that have been traded for um were amenable to that. So this is something where you think, okay, you're doing a solid by some of your players. You're doing a solid by your players who don't want to leave and they don't have to sit and wait and, and go through the expansion process either. Um, and, and then past that, I don't know, you know, you have teams who want assets back. We're seeing a, a, an underrated thing that we're also seeing here is that the California teams are trading usually for two players, something like that, two or three, right? Whereas in the current rules of this upcoming expansion draft, they can only take one player per team. And so it's beneficial to the California teams to do these deals, not only because it makes the players happy, but because it means that they're getting more in for, for what they're sending out, which is, you know, money assets for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also easily, I mean, it's also really obviously beneficial to the other teams too, because they're going to get more than they were ever going to get in an expansion draft, even if they're losing more sometimes. Right. It, it maybe makes more sense. Like we talk about the perspective. This was reported by Jeff Kasuf, a perspective deal between Portland and San Diego, where they send Amira Ali and um, Kristen Westfall out to San Diego for expand for um, allocation money. And so maybe that's a good example of the differences, right? Because if they don't do that, if they just say San Diego, we're just going to go through the expansion draft. Um, San Diego maybe takes one of those players and doesn't get both, but Portland doesn't get the money back. And so they found something where it's a little bit beefed up on both sides to make it make sense. And I think also you have, and we'll get into this probably more in the second half, I don't think there's a huge incentive for either expansion team to pick up a a federation allocated player in this draft. They've already made their premier signings. They don't need that to sell tickets. They don't need the um, salary relief. I don't think. Um, And therefore they're going to get $150,000 for doing so. If you don't take an allocated player, you get paid in allocated money. So, um, yeah, I think that there's just a, a bigger reason to do to do business willingly, um, which I guess maybe my next question, Pardeep, is should we abolish the expansion draft entirely? Well, wasn't this the best argument for it? Yeah. Um, honestly, I was actually just thinking about it as you were talking. Um, maybe you do. Maybe you just open up a trade window to do what feels like nonsense, but obviously isn't really nonsense. It's just chaotic. See, I, I think there's probably, I think it might be a good idea though. I wonder how much of the chaos of this particular expansion draft was that there are two expansion teams coming in as opposed to just one. But I don't think the expansion draft, I think it just puts everybody in an awkward place that I don't think you necessarily eliminate if you get rid of it. But if nobody wants to be part of the expansion draft, then it feels kind of pointless, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a deadline. I I think that these deals don't get done without the threat of an expansion process, um, which I think is, is fair to say, right? I think that 
Um, honestly, I also think these deals don't get done if the expansion pro- if the expansion draft isn't written in the way that it's written up. I think that um, I said this before when they announced the rules. I don't think that the rules are necessarily all that conducive to um, to the teams protecting players, nor is it that conducive to the California teams getting what they need. Um, the clause that really gets me, I did a little bit of a, I did a, a earlier today, I, I did a little mock draft for, for a different publication. And the thing that really kills you with this double expansion draft is that positional thing. The, the positional rule where you cannot take, um, where like if San Diego takes a player of a certain position from a team, angel city cannot also take a player from that position. Um, which that sort of a thing is, is very limiting. I think in terms of yeah what you can actually get in in the context of targeted players so they've kind of ruled this expansion draft into nothingness a little bit but i do think the fact that it exists is what you know kicked off a lot of this player movement so yeah i wonder if you do some sort of weird thing where it's like here's an expansion draft but if x amount of teams do or earn exemption or obtain exemption then we just cancel the whole thing (laughs) <laughs> maybe yeah maybe just not so smart to turn it into a big television event right because i think it's going to be pretty yeah short. um yeah so let's talk about these california teams a little bit you know we'll have a bigger picture next week after the expansion draft goes through and obviously there are more things to to be discussed but i don't know these teams seem to be coming from a pretty sound um philosophy even just positionally where they went out and they got two very good starting goalkeepers. Both teams have a clear number one starting goalkeeper. Both teams have at least one cornerstone center back, right? Um, They're building kind of through their midfields. Each team, you know, reportedly is going to have a very popular top tier forward. It seems to me, and you can tell me if you agree, Party, that this is a little bit more of an advanced building process from these teams than we've maybe seen in the past where it's not just that these teams want one or two stars to move tickets. And as long as they score some goals, it's okay if they let some in and um, you just kind of have to put a product out there and then get better. It seems to me like the construction of these teams is really intending for them to be competitive right away, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to track the progress of expansion expansion teams in the NWSL because up until very recently, a lot of them didn't get a lot of run-up time to be successful. I think yeah. Louisville was really the only one that got a lot of advanced notice. And I mean, they're, you know, small sample size on Louisville, but I remember Christy Holly talking during the the college draft before the 2021 season. He was like, he basically said the strategy was to just pick up as many players as possible that were ready to go right away and see what happens. But yeah, I have to agree. These, these California teams, they had the advanced time and they decided to really... You know, they're, they're, they look real, right? It doesn't feel like it just stick whatever. It doesn't feel like a catch-all of a team where it's just do the, do the best you can. Um, and I think 
I think it goes a long way in making these teams really attractive to play for. You know, you were talking earlier about how a bunch of players around the league probably do want to go to California, want to go to these teams. I think right now they're doing the work of meeting the moment because a lot of people are excited about them and they're, they're putting in the effort on their own too. It's nice to see a couple of teams who seem to be well-prepared. Yeah, agreed. It's better for the league. Um, I, I did have the thought, you know, and, and people don't have to agree with me on this, but I did have the thought with some of the player movement, um, someone like Kalen Sheridan moving to San Diego, um, some of the context around that move makes you think maybe a player like that is looking at San Diego or Europe, right? Um, yeah. And, and I think that these California teams have been, after a very rough year in NWSL governance, right, have done a, an okay job of being a little bit of a stopgap in keeping top talent in the league that might actually even have been looking elsewhere. I mean, you think about bringing Kristen press back into the league. That's great. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that is an important element here as well. When we look at the context of what the NWSL looks like in 2022, um, if you have a lot of players who ended this year being like, I did not have a good experience. This was really hard. Um, went through something traumatic and, I'm finding it difficult to maintain my level of focus and enthusiasm to play in this league. The California teams are, are a great kind of breath of fresh air, which I think is a bit lucky um, in timing, I think for, yeah. for everybody involved. Right. I think they, right. They feel like a breath of fresh air. They feel like a new start. They feel very separate from the NWSL as it is right now. My question remains if that's a true representation of events or not. I mean, not not to suggest that, not to suggest anything about them, but. No, but reality is never quite what you imagine it's going right. to be, right? Yeah. Right. And I mean, at the very least, if you want to just talk about, you know, on the field stuff, you can have a great coach you can have a great sporting director you can get a bunch of great players it's going to take time for it all to gel you know and i think at the very least that sort of positive energy could turn into something else for a little while but they're they they really these two california teams really are trying to represent a, n- a new phase for the NWSL. We'll see if we they live up to it. I, I, you know, that that's my question ultimately. Yeah, I think there are a lot of. I think it's a long term project and a short term one in that regard. Sure. Um. Yeah, I think that it. Uh, the way the way I, I I would describe it, I think, is I think that you have a lot of players who feel like they're starting over this year anyway. Whether it's because they have a new coach, lots of new coaches around the league, right? Um, new systems. Just, I think there's, it's a little bit of a reset going into next year, no matter what. And I understand why some players are like, well, why not just do the full reset? Let's go play for somebody else. Um, In a sunshiny Southern California. Exactly. So let's actually <laughs> talk about that a little bit. are great. Speaking of some resets, some, some soft resets, there were some hires, uh, some hires in the league this week, getting a little bit of a better picture of who some of the leaders of these clubs are going to be going into 2022. Um, 
Gotham FC took the interim tag off of Yell Averbush and assistant general manager Stephanie Lee. That was something that was originally presented as temporary. Um, now is going to be locked in for a number of years. So Gotham is, they've kind of put a stamp on head coach Scott Parkinson and Averbush and Lee as this tandem uh, general manager, general manager structure. Uh, the Orlando Pride officially welcomed UCLA head coach Amanda Cromwell as their new head coach. She does have some experience in Florida. She was a, a, a the manager of the University of Central Florida, their women's soccer team, for a number of years. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into all of these specifically, but just and then the final rundown was Racing Louisville announced their head coaching hire, um, Kim Bjorkagren. From he was most recently managing in Cyprus. Uh, he is Swedish. He briefly was the manager of uh, Linköping, and he also has coached in China. Um, he is someone who I, I believe knows Nadia Nadim and Freya Olofsson, um, who I think are are an important part of, of racing Louisville's player leadership structure. Um, Louisville was quick to state that there was player input to, to this hiring. So I think you can sort of see that connection there. Um, let's, let's just do one by one here. So let's start with, well, we'll, we'll go back to front. So let's start with, uh, Bjorka grin in Louisville. So yeah. we talked about this party, at the end of last season about how Louisville had a big problem in the back half of their season, which was that they let a coach create a very tailor-made roster to his plans. And then he was fired for misconduct. So we saw a little bit of this with the expansion draft list, which we'll talk about in the second segment, but I don't think they're going to stick with a lot of these same players. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, again, to speak about Christy Holly's strategy, I have, I don't know if they were, I feel like it was always a roster sort of built for a lot of turnover because they were just trying to survive the first year. But, you know, now they, they've got a new coach in who, I mean, I sat in on Bjorka Grin's opening press conference and he was talking about how one of the things he'd like to do is see the team control the ball, uh, the ball more, control the game more. It, it, it really just seems like another example of the NWSL being full of fresh starts <laughs> in 2022. I, I don't think this roster is going to look a lot like it does now. And I'm, I'm very interested to see how that goes, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and with that same concept, right, it's the question of, okay, Racing Louisville has gone through this first year where they had a couple very good wins, right, early in the season. Um, they had a pretty poor management moment, right, with the dismissal of, of Christy Holly. Um, all of that same leadership structure is, is in place in the front office, um, not everybody at that team had a great experience. Dorian Balcom talked about that this week about um, some of the, the, I, I just, you know, just to put it sort of kindly, perhaps the mismanagement of uh, the mismanagement of, of the starters versus the the bench, I think was, was a main organizational issue. Um, and so then you have Bjorkagren come in. And he's a little bit of an unknown, I think, uh, in, in North America. And so I don't know how exactly you 
bring people in in order to have high turnover, right? Because I think obviously um, you have to, they're going to be able to get a very good draft pick, hopefully, depending on that list, right? They got, um, I think, the number two pick in the draft from Angel City in the press deal. So that's going to be very important for them. Um, and then past that, I don't know, maybe they pick out of Europe, right? That's where, that's where Bjorkegren's, um, experience is, but obviously that's limited by international slots. And I frankly don't know, um, the sway of getting people into Louisville, right? Louisville is not a city that, that people are as familiar with worldwide. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough spot. I think that it's one of these weird positions where, yeah, their facilities are great, you know, and, and the players who had a good experience there did have a very good experience there. Um, but I'm not sure it's enough to help them take that next step past expansion team, you know? Yeah. I mean, it reminds me again of the opening press, uh, not just the press conference, but the press release announcing him Louisville put in remarkably a lot of effort to, or more than usual anyway, to indicate that Bjorka Grin is somebody who likes to create a good atmosphere with his mm-hmm. players. It was, I mean, imagine getting on a podcast and talking about a press release, but it was a fascinating press release. It was interesting, yeah. It's interesting. Because- it's been interesting to see what these teams are focusing on. Even with the trade press releases, right, there's been a lot of like, we spoke to the player and we made sure that it was all okay. And then with these coaches, right. It's like the players had input and this is all about a friendly environment. And I'm sure most of, I would hope most of that is true, but you do look at it and you go, well, they're choosing to highlight some very specific things here. Yeah. I mean, these are good. Look, this is a good thing to highlight to say, Hey, our coach loves uh, uh, creating a friendly atmosphere and making sure everybody gets along and is, and I think the quote is likens himself to the charismatic Liverpool FC coach, Jorgen Klopp. <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay. Uh, that's very specific. Um, I guess we'll just have to see, you know, we will just have to see. I, that That is obviously the right way to go. I, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, the player input thing, that that is interesting uh james o'connor who is what the executive vice president of development at louisville he said that the players were brought in at the final stage they interviewed they spoke to both bjorker grin and the other and the other finalists for the job louisville i think were probably the most transparent i've ever seen in a press release from a team regarding a coaching hire because if you want to compare it to the amanda cromwell hire i think the really the only bonus thing we got out of that press release was she's divested from angel city which was important information but yeah i mean between the players interviewing uh we haven't even talked yet about the fact that they mentioned that the nwsl ran background checks on Bjorka Grin. Um, yeah. It, I guess we'll see how you balance roster turnover with trying to create culture. I guess 
you could interpret it as starting from scratch again, which I don't know. I feel like could be good if you're trying to create a positive team culture. I don't know if it'll create a positive reputation of Louisville for the people that leave, but I don't know if necessarily the leaving Louisville is the one defining thing that will make somebody feel bad about Louisville. Right. If that made any sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think my final thought on this is that um, I think Louisville had an opportunity last year because they had a very young team um, to gain the reputation of a place where a player could go to develop and get better. Uh, and I'm not sure they did that. I think that instead we we saw a team where the the players that have been brought in to be in the starting 11 um, were relied upon very heavily and there wasn't a lot of development happening um, behind the scenes. So, and I think, again, you saw it in their, in their protection list. There's a number of really solid young players who did not get protected who I, at this moment, have no reason to believe that they actually really improved a ton from when they were brought in last year. Um, and so if you're trying to stay young and you're trying to get more of these prospects, um, that's what you have to prove. The best teams in this league are the teams where they have a, a clear leadership structure, but when you come in, no matter what, you're going to get better. And I think that that is something that Louisville has not yet proven and that is a dangerous place to be because you can buy top players to fill out an 11, but if you're not developing your bench, it, it becomes a lot uh, harder to maintain, I guess is what I would say. And I don't know if you're going to get the best results out of failing to maintain your bench to develop that bench. Right. Yeah. Well, I completely I mean, agree with that. I mean, I think that you look at the the past years of the Orlando pride, and I think that that is your template for what happens when you're too top heavy. Um so I mean, what the best teams in the NWSL this year were ones with great roster depth. Right. Which again, that's you can't just expect a really that. obvious thing. You can't expect that from an expansion team right away though, but it is something that you have to work on. And there isn't, has to be an organizational culture of prioritizing that. Otherwise it's not just going to happen on its own. Um, so right, moving at a certain on, point, there needs to be a long-term plan. <laughs> yes. So moving on to the other uh, major hire, uh, Amanda Cromwell. Now, this is a different philosophy, right, than what Louisville's doing. So um, they brought in a coach that has, or Louisville brought in a coach that has professional experience, but not in the States. Amanda Cromwell has a wealth of knowledge um, of coaching in the States, but just not at the professional level. Um, she's a very well-respected university-level coach. Um, big jump for her, I think. We talk a lot about how coaches at the college level have a lot of stability. Um, it, you know, <laughs> I think there, I'm not going to dive too much into uh, NCAA because that is a more, even more edges than a double-edged sword. But um, <laughs> if you, if you're, if you're a coach at a, at, a, at what is primarily an educational institution, um, the, the expectations are slightly different and it's a little bit less cutthroat. Um so Cromwell is, is making, I think she's betting on herself. She's, she's moving away from a program where she is very well respected and is moving into one that I think we've seen from their roster movement that they are also really trying to go clean slate. They're trying a yeah. very different roster build philosophy, which I think she'll be good for. Cause I do think they're getting a lot younger. Um, 
And they do need to become a place where players can come to develop. That's how you get people to want to come to Orlando is you say, Hey, you're going to get better if you come here. Um, still a risk though, right? A little bit risky. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I like to just, you know, to compare Louisville and Orlando a little bit like or uh, Louisville's problem. I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess problem is that you don't know how much of the fresh start is a true fresh start or if it's a false fresh start. Whereas at Orlando, it's new ownership, a uh, new uh, uh, way they're operating behind the scenes, new roster. I mean, at this point, a lot of the veterans are going new coach now. I think it's a really, it's a huge risk, but it's also, I think they're doing, they're giving Amanda Cromwell the right opportunity to say, hey, you can make this team your own. And if you fail, it's your fault. But if you succeed, then we took the right bet, but you can't blame us, at least right now, the way things stand, for not giving you a shot. They're fully betting on her. They're fully believing in her. And I am very interested to see what she does with that. I think if you want to make this team younger, she's a good candidate for that. And I think that's probably the right approach at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, NWSL is a little bit of an odd bird in figuring out your scouting um, and figuring out what your development pipelines are. Some teams have like Angel City has gone, they have a full data analyst, right? So they have a full-time person whose whose job is to analyze data. Some places, none of these coaches are still in place, but the old style way of doing it was having someone who had experience in in youth soccer become your essentially your scouting and your development um, person because they they can see that talent coming up from a very young age. Um what, what Orlando is doing is a little bit old school, a little bit new school, right? So they have a, they have a clear, well-staffed uh, organizational structure where they have a general manager and Ian Fleming. They have a head coach and Amanda Cromwell. But her background in what is essentially the development league of the NWSL, which is college, um, I do think they're going to think will serve, serve them well. I think also, um, and this is both good and bad, we see this in college football a lot that or college and, and pro football is that there is a big difference between managing peers who are also professional adults doing a job and being the manager of college kids. There's some differences in necessary management there. And I think that that is where you want a coach that can help players develop a young roster, but also trust that they have the understanding that this is a different, this is a different environment. You are working with fellow professionals, treat them like adults, that sort of a thing. Um, while also just maintaining that sort of organizational respect, which I think Orlando, they did this with Becky Burley, but I mean, Becky Burley was another one who came from the college game, I think had a very good environment in training, but the results were only okay. So it, it's an L it, it's like a, I like it as a culture hire. I think that she, many of her former players, almost all of her former players have, have really positive things to say about Cromwell. I think she takes care of people. Um, can they, can they turn Orlando into a winning squad and can they do it fast enough that new ownership doesn't abandon that project? I think is, is the question. Yeah. I think to me, this has to be a patience hire. 
I just, unless it's just a very quick success, I think the right thing to do is to afford somebody who hasn't actually coached at this level, somebody you are now entrusting to do a lot. Because again, there's a whole squad rebuild coming up probably. I think patience is the only way to respond to that. Yeah. And then now moving on, you know, last, last thing here for, for this segment um, to yeah, Averbush West and Stephanie Lee um, in a way, this is like an easy, easy move, right? Cause first of all, they were already there. <laughs> um, and if they were willing to stay, I mean, that was the question I think going in was, do they want to stay full time? And so I guess it was yeah. a little bit of a trial run for everybody. And it seems like that went well. Um, this one to me, is that same question of this is a culture home home run, right? This is a player first home run. Ava Butch West is wildly popular with the player pool, right? She founded the players association. She is someone who players trust to have their best interests at heart. 100%. Can they create a team that is going to compete for trophies? I think is the next step. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know if that is a reasonable request for Gotham at this moment. Maybe yeah. a couple years where you're in that top five, right? Just kind of build that history um, of being in the mix. We thinking of where they were even just four or five years ago, right? Um, but I, I think that that's always tough. I think that sometimes with culture hires, you need to have an extra one person in there. And again, I'm not talking about player mistreatment, but you do have to have a little bit of an edge in the pro game. And I'm interested to see where that comes from in Gotham, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. This to me again, feels like a sort of another project, you know, between Parkinson and then Aver Butch West, those, I mean, they are fairly new to their jobs. So patient seems like the right call there. I think I I think sometimes it feels like the Harris and Krieger pickups were sort of a win now thing and the two of them spoke about wanting to win a championship at Gotham. I do think it's a long-term project there. I just think it is. I think they can be a good part of that long-term project, but I'm very curious to see what they do with the rest of the squad. If they end up getting other players who are either in their peak now or past peak, then it clearly is a win now mentality. I'm not so sure that is the case yet. I'm not so sure that would be the right strategy for them. They have a lot of young players on their roster. You know, to me, I feel like the natural thing is to think of them as a project. Lots of those going into 2022, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Who isn't a project at this point? Yeah. I mean, for me, I do think the good news for us as, as people who do coverage is that there are, um, there are lots of new roads that we're all going to be walking down. And so I think that, uh, that's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Um, and I will say, obviously after the year that the league had, I fully understand these culture hires. I understand making sure that players are okay, first and foremost. And, and I understand even if that, even if that supersedes a results oriented organization at this very moment, I'm like, that's reading the room. That's reading the situation correctly. I understand that. Um, 
it'll be fascinating for us though doing soccer analysis what that ends up looking like though so um i right i mean just about everybody's a project at this point so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff up for grabs it should be another unpredictable nwsl season for sure. So speaking of unpredictable, we're going to try to predict the unpredictable in segment two. We're going to get into <laughs> these drafts. Good seg, right? It's good seg. Um, get into Very some good. of these drafts. Um, just some notable players. Actually, we're probably not going to do that at all. We're just going to pick some notable players. We're going to highlight some names and uh, leave it up to the professionals to decide what to do with it. So hang tight, everybody. We'll be back in a sec. All right, welcome to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Pardeep Katri. Uh, Going to do the thing I always do. Please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a nice rating. It helps people find us. Um, it's it's really, really useful for tricking that old algorithm to helping people who are listening to other soccer podcasts find us because this is one that I think is worthwhile. So talking drafts. We did get some protected lists. Uh, Some of them we talked about a little bit. They come with sort of these hedged bets, right? Some of them are like half protection. Some of them are protection from one team, but not the other. Um, But some of the, some of the teams that did sort of put themselves out there and, and put some lists out were the Houston dash who are straight up just doing the draft. They did not make any deals going into, or that we know of. They did not make any deals that we know of. (laughs) going into the expansion draft um oh well rain which has partial immunity from angel city in that angel city cannot take any of their forwards um the orlando pride i think also they just are we know we talked about the possibility of them having a deal in in place in essence with san diego for alex morgan this did not really seem to affect their protection structure though because they did protect alex morgan so maybe they're just trying to stop stop anything uh, they want to make sure they get their return on that yeah one, prote- like. yeah they're protecting not just alex morgan they're protecting their what the uh exchange is there is is exactly um portland is half protected but perhaps more than half protected like we talked about um they have they did do one full deal with angel city they have one in uh in understanding with San Diego, we'll see if, if any wrenches get thrown into that. Um, Racing Louisville, uh, they have a list going, but that is only for San Diego, right? They uh, became immune from Angel City with the press deal. Washington Spirit, uh, technically open for both teams, but they did do that deal to protect their Federation allocated players, which means that obviously they did not need to put those on their protected list. So you see, you know, Kelly O'Hara, Andy Sullivan, Emily Sonnet on their unprotected list. Well, not really, right? They've already secured that protection. So some of these names are fake, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Megan Rapino is not going anywhere. No, no. But kind of fun to look at, right? There's some good value here. Um, I mean, if you want to look at the big Federation player that, is unprotected i would say maybe it's christy mewis i don't know if she goes anywhere but that's the one i'm looking at right i think christy mewis is the one like i said i think if the rules were slightly different one of these teams might be incentivized to pick mewis up with the understanding and and none of this is confirmed but with some rumblings that mewis might be looking to play out of the league next year um i think that that is one where it feels a little bit like a freebie but i don't think that any of these teams 
are in the position to do freebies, first of all, because they need players. <laughs> and yes. uh, second of all, because if they take Mewis, they can't take anybody else from the dash, which if I were in charge, if I were queen of, of California expansion, the player I'm taking from the dash is Megan Oyster, right? Yep. Yep. See, I, I was surprised to see her not protected or, or maybe that's not how I want to describe it. But basically when I saw her name on the unprotected list, that was the first name I really looked at for the dash. Yeah. I think that was just a nature of them only being able to protect nine people. Yeah. I think that one is just, they have a number of, of, of clear starters and um, a, a name on that list that I, you know, didn't really raise eyebrows because people kind of knew this was coming, but Maria Sanchez, right. That's maybe a transfer right. that hasn't been announced yet. Um, so they needed to protect her. Um, cause that's, I, I mean, obviously that's another one you want to respect player, witches, but that would be, a, that would be a great pickup from, from any Cali team if they wanted to go for that. Um, yep. yeah. So I think that oyster was just sort of the odd, um, player out. And I think she's great. I mean, I don't, I mean, I've said this before. I don't fully understand why she even got benched last year in favor of Abby Dahlkemper. Um, I think that she's someone that if you are trying to build a competitive team, you absolutely pick up as, as one of your center backs, um, whether oh, yeah. with, with Dahl Kemper in San Diego or with Sarah Gordon in, in angel city. So, um, is anybody else, anybody else from Houston stick out to you other than me? Um, Jasmine Spencer, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's the early days still there. Maybe it can still work out. I, I know, I know it, she's played well for them at times, but, if either of the California teams take a look at that name and say, Hey, we could make this work. They can make it work. That's a, both of them have actually a ton of forwards right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that but, probably if, if it were up to me, I would end up taking more midfielders and defenders. However, like I said, that positional yeah. thing is if, if one team takes a defender, you can't. So maybe you see forwards get picked up. Um, like you'd even think someone like Veronica Ladsko, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not the first choice, but if you are positionally boxed out from picking somebody up that you want, maybe you, you take a flyer on, on somebody like that. Um, and I guess you could just use a bunch of these players as, uh, players you trade away later when the window reopens. Yeah. Right. Maybe it, it's just one of those things where you just want to make sure that you're not just doing deals to do deals. Right. Um, here's hoping. Yeah. All right. So moving on to OL rain. Um, Again, you know, it's like there's there there's some good there are some good players. There's some good players on his list. Uh, how available they actually are, I think, is the big question. They they did not they elected not to protect most of their defenders, which is interesting to me. Um, so you look at plays pieces on that back line. Obviously, Lou Barnes, though I don't think she's going anywhere. I don't think anybody would make that mistake. Um, yeah. Sam Hyatt is a good player. Celia is a good player. Uh, McNabb is on that list. McNabb is on that list. Um, Madison Hammond is a good player. So there's a number of, of good pieces in the back line that I think you could pick up from the rain. Um, the other player that I think, again, it just depends on what your vision is, but I don't think Danny Weatherholt would be a bad pickup either, only just because yeah. she's a true system six. And I think that that is the kind of role player that a, a California team could really use. Um or if you're San Diego, what do you think, Party? Do you take Zara King? See, that was just about to mention her name. Somebody who I feel like 
you know, the potential's there. You take a look at that name. You say, hey, that's a player who could work. Why not? That's a name. That was one of the names I looked at, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. She. I think, again, you just talk about, I think, a little bit odd player out. Um, she's very capable, very good. She got a little bit buried in the depth of, of OL Reigns roster last year, though I don't think she would have quite as many issues with that this year because a lot of those, a number of those players went back um, to their home club. So I don't know. Uh, I, I think that there are a number of good players there. Again, it's just about sort of what you need and who is still left on the board. So moving on to Orlando, a um, couple good midfielders in here, I think. Um, Erica Timrak, I think, had a pretty good season last year. Maggie Doherty Howard, I think, had a pretty good season. Um, I think if they wanted to go super beachy, San Diego could go for someone <laughs> like Emily Van Egmond, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Allie I, Riley I actually is, think Orlando. Allie Riley, I think, is unprotected, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would just depend on on the, how the age, I think, you would want for your roster, though. Um Yeah. I don't know. I think Orlando, by doing some of the deals that they've already done, I think they were able to just, you know, they were able to protect the people I think that they wanted. Right. To um, yeah, I feel like it was probably the most straightforward list out of yeah. probably the ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, inter- was interested by them uh, protecting. Well, they, they, they did actually protect, I think, the pieces of their defense that they really wanted to hold on to. Right. So they've got Courtney Peterson protected, Phoebe McLernan. Amy Turner. Um, yeah. Which means that I think there are some, some decent options. I mean, another player that again, you talk about like a, a fun young forward, maybe you grab Abby Kim if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the Orlando pick would be a little bit less of a, like, here is my for sure starter kind of a player and more of a, I like this player's tendencies and I think we can de- develop this player into something, um, something cool. I think uh, a lot of this draft will just be sort of filling out the roster, these depth pieces that you're willing to take the bet on. Right. Um, Portland, their list uh, is essentially might meaningless, be, right? Like, right. It, it might be a mean fake. A uh, it would take San Diego deciding they want to go full heel to really alter anything here. Um, which would be hilarious. Yeah. You know, the, the one, the one thought that I did have, and I don't know the one thought that I did have is they, they're offering, right. They're offering Westfall and, uh, Ali Amira. And I was looking at that list and I was like, well, what if, what if you just took Yasmin Ryan instead. Like there, there are a couple good players. There are a couple good contingency players there. Maybe I guess is my point. Um, yeah, like if you just have a change of heart pretty late, and you're like, eh, I'll just do this instead. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are a couple. Right, Yasmin Ryan is definitely again. I mean, I didn't look at the list that closely because I just think San Diego will not do the really funny thing. But if they wanted to do the funny thing. That would be a good player to do the funny thing for. It's true. It's true. But yeah, they might just take, I mean, they might just take two, two for one. Um, okay. Now we have Louisville. Um, Louisville, I think actually has a number 
quite a few interesting players on this list, all of which I think are could possibly be very useful for a team. Obviously, this is just for San Diego, right? Um, Savannah McCaskill, I think, is, is yep. one of the highlights. Um, man, there are also just a number of players here. You know, I think Taylor Otto is good when she plays attacking mid. I think Kaylee Real is a player that, again, yes. I don't know exactly how develop how much developing she's done, but I think that she um, has the has the potential. Um, same with Lauren Malay. Um, yeah, I I don't know if I were San Diego, I don't know exactly who I would pick there. Maybe, maybe Savannah McCaskill. Maybe I don't yeah. know. I mean, like you, they left her unprotected. Might as well just take the obvious one and go for it. Um, yeah, perhaps because hey, I mean that's probably if you're going to. I mean, looking at these lists, if there's one marquee player that could go it's probably her yeah so i guess i mean yeah you could do that i would i would say that would be a fun thing to do but there are a lot of really good young players on this louisville unprotected list that just didn't get a shot last year right that if if you decide hey i'm i like this player enough i'm gonna give her a shot then i could you know, like Kaylee Real is probably the one person I was thinking of before you mentioned her. You know that these teams have a lot of de- uh, they have a lot of forwards already. Why not add a young defender for some depth? See what happens there. Yeah, um, but yeah, if you want to be if you want to do the big marquee signing, take McCaskill. She will be the headline of the entire draft if you take her. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, yeah, it just depends on, on playing style um, and how you want to feed your attack. And if you think McCaskill is a good fit for that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like, I'm looking more and more at this list. I'm like, yeah, there's a number of good players here. Um, I'll say again, you know, I don't really understand the, there's a little bit of hullabaloo about Louisville picking up the rights to Janine Becky, um, which yeah. again, I don't fully understand the philosophy behind rights hoarding at, at this juncture in the league. You know, it's something that has served teams well in the past, but I don't know. It just seems like a weird vibe. It's a weird thing to do, it right? Is. No, right. Like unless you have an assurance or like a really good idea, Hey, this player is going to come back to the league and they'd be fine playing here. That's one thing. It's just, I find it to be so strange. Yeah. Like you're, and I felt like it was also a little bit of Louisville's downfall in building their o- in their own expansion draft strategy last year. They picked up a bunch of players, rights who didn't end up ever playing for them, and they only were able to successfully trade away one of those rights. You know, they got something out of the Kristen Press deal, but they're sitting on Alana Kennedy's rights and Tobin Heath's rights. And stand to gain probably very little, if anything, from it for right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Who can say? All right. Moving on. Last team, Washington Spirit. Um, they have another partial deal, right? Uh, you can't, Angel City cannot take Washington's uh, core. Um, there's some good players on here, too. Uh, I think the ones that stick out to me, uh, obviously Paige Nielsen is, is starting quality. I think, 
um, if you need, that's like a plug, plug and play center back, right? If you need a center back, uh, Paige Nielsen is a good option. Um, Jordan DiBiase mm-hmm. is a player with high potential who has really struggled with injuries. So I think you would maybe want to just see exactly where she is at with her recovery. Um, so that's, I think that is an injury risk, but good player. Um, I think Anna Heilferty is, is a, a good prospect. She's very, she's a versatile player. She's young. Um, she's played both in the midfield and at outside back, which I think it, it does. It shows a coachability that I think is very promising. Um, yeah, the spirit have a, the thing is, is the spirit have a great team. And part of the reason why they won championship this year is because they're good front to back, which means that they have quite a few players that I, I would pick up if, if I were, were drafting in this expansion draft. Yeah, I think you hit them all really nicely. I had Nielsen and DiBiase down on my list too. Um, but I think this was also probably a pretty straightforward set of protections and not protections for the spirit based on the deals that they did. The fact they didn't have to protect their uh, Federation players, I think allows them to... Like I said, I think it's pretty straightforward list of picks for them. You know, I mean, technically, Tori Huster's on this list, but she is uh, worth picking up while she recovers from this very long-term injury. Well, not very long-term, but whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So DiBiase and Nielsen are the one. Nielsen especially is the one for me. If you're going, if you want to send another center back, she would be a great choice. Yeah. Right. So I think that there, there are some good options there. I think that will just depend on, uh, that will just depend on the, uh, I was like losing my train of thought. Sorry, I've been talking for a long time. Um, oh, it will just depend on the positional thing. It'll depend on what the other team yes. does. So if the other team picks a, a spirit player first and they pick a defender, that limits things. If they pick a midfielder, that limits things. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of a rundown of all the protected lists. I think it's okay. going to be a little bit of an underwhelming expansion draft, but I do think that some good pieces are going to move. Um, I, I think one thing that comes to mind as we go as we went through these lists is – I don't know right now how interested Casey Stoney and Freya Kuma are in developing really young players who haven't actually had a great chance to prove themselves in this league yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to find out if they are interested in that at all, or if they're going to pick up some players with a little bit more experience who have actually had a few more minutes in this league. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, so pivoting briefly, um, lots of topic of expansion, right? But we do have the college draft also coming up. Um, and it's very hard to gauge what exactly is going to happen until we see the final declaration list. Uh, there's, it's also further complicated by the fact like we were talking about the Mac Herman finalists, two of them have already been drafted. So there's a number (laughs) of players, who have done quite well in college who already are going to go play for somebody. Kelsey Turnbow is going to go play for San Diego and um, Michaela Callahan is going to go play for Orlando. Um, Jalen Howell seems like the real get right. If she decides she wants to make the jump, Um, you know, you always float out the, the players that are quite good, but not seniors like uh, well, Naomi Girma, but again, she has yes. an extra year. So the senior is, is a relative term, right? Because everybody has these extra years, but you've got Naomi Girma, 
You've got Jenna Nyswanger is another really, really good player. Um, you look at some of the standouts in North Carolina, especially since North Carolina isn't quite on top the way they used to be. You might have some of those players be looking at, at going pro. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that it's one of those things where there are a lot of very capable players, and I think that you're going to see teams pick up good depth. But we might be past the era of first-round walk-on starters, right, in the college yeah. draft. For sure. At this point, it just feels like adding a lot of depth pieces. Maybe the first couple of picks are going to be, you know, they're going to be contenders for those starting spots. I mean, we probably saw that with this year's draft picks, no? A lot of them. Well, no, I actually think I think last year's draft was actually very, very, very strong. It was just that most of them did not go pro, you know? Yeah. Oh, I meant I just meant that like the people that did play that did have a shot at playing a bunch of. uh, a bunch of like the top picks or a few of them didn't actually end up walking into the team. Right. I mean, what Brianna Pinto went pretty early if I'm remembering and she's no longer with Gotham, but you know, that, that I don't mean that as like this big commentary on these players or the draft necessarily. It's just that you're not, you're getting more depth pieces. I think at this point from the draft, I don't know. I don't know if I completely, I mean, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that about last year. I think that um, you had both Kiki Pickett and Brianna Pinto come in halfway through the season. They didn't even get a full preseason with their pro teams. Um, and then also Pinto moving in the off season, I think indicated just that that wasn't a great club fit. So um, right. I think very highly, I think very highly actually of the 2021 first round. And in fact, you look at like second round, third round, talk about a player like Amira Ali or a player like Kelsey Turnbow, who turned out to be, really exciting prospects that were picked up a little bit later in that draft just because they hadn't had their breakout seasons yet. Um, but, but <laughs> I agree with what you're saying about this year, which is that I think that because players have the options of going to Europe and the option of staying in school and the fact that, yeah, I think goodwill towards some of these clubs is not super high right now. You know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's the kind of thing too, where these college I feel for college players because if you are Jalen Howell, right, you say to yourself, oh, cool, San Diego has the first pick in the draft. But then you also have in the back of your head, you're like, oh, San Diego has like three trades that they haven't finalized yet. Is that pick still going to be with them um, by the time the actual draft rolls around? You don't know. And so I think that kind of thing can be kind of scary because to these teams, it's an asset. But to a college player, that's your life. So yeah, I think that that and it can, ch- and it can change like right before. Yeah. I mean, this stuff always goes down to the wire. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see what that list looks like. The, the list will, it'll be easier to make our judgments once the list shows up. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. Very, very interesting. I mean, I'm someone who I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent about the draft. I don't mind that it exists. I think it shouldn't be the only avenue to joining the league. Um, I think we've seen players, I think probably the best examples um, of, of the way players get around this is you look at someone like Alana cook or maybe Katarina Macario, if she ever decides to come yes. back to the league where you leave college, you go sign a competitive contract in Europe, and then you play there for a couple of years, and then you enter the league in other ways. And I think that that is going to become a more legitimate option for top-level talent than sort of rolling the dice. 
Um, so we'll see. And actually, real quick, breaking news as we are recording this. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, they're, we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. But um, U.S. Women's National Team allocation is going away officially. They just announced... Um, we knew we knew that this was going to happen. We knew that eventually federation allocation was going to go away. Basically, all this is is a statement of intent, essentially, which is that they don't know when the CBA is going to get done. So this is them crossing something off of a checklist before they finish the CBA negotiations, meaning that they're saying that no matter what, even if we have to extend our no lockout agreement because we can't get the CBA done by the end of the calendar year. We do need to, um, we do need to make a statement about federation allocation, which it's hilarious that they're doing this right now because was, allocation was still a protected status for this expansion draft. I that know. Hasn't even happened was, yet. I was, um, I was just thinking, but I guess it's, I guess they don't want to, I mean, like, like they probably don't want to mess with the expansion draft even more and be like, oops. Now yeah. these uh, federation players you've protected, well, that doesn't exist anymore. Right. I'm guessing that it won't exist starting like Friday, not Thursday. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, this, it, it is what it is. It needed to happen, but this is also a nightmare. It's just a logistical nightmare. Um, sorry. Real time reaction to that. Uh, so, <laughs> right. You have this whole thing set up for, to protect your allocated players. And we saw some, you know, teams like the thorns and teams like the red stars and teams like the spirit proactively pull people off of those lists. But, um, God, these NWSL teams are going to have some real serious salary negotiations that they're going into with a lot of their stars, which is going to be fascinating to see as well. Um, because the NWSL off offseason needed more chaos. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, party, I think that's a pretty good, you know, a lot of speculative coverage today just because we don't have a lot of concrete um, statements. But. uh, Oh, this is also interesting. Oh, gosh, this is just interesting as well, which is that um, with the dissolution, with the dissolution of USSF supported NWSL allocation status. um. I think this is also, I mean, I think the union supports this um, because it allows NWSL Players Association higher jurisdiction over the players. Like, we know that the U.S. players have their own union as well. They should. Um, But that, it it clears, it clears some things up in that the U.S. players, what they're negotiating with their collective bargaining agreement is purely just for USA play right. and not for NWSL play. So this is right. it's, it's, it's a totally streamlining of processes now. for the players as well, which I think is good. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, well, well, I guess we end this with a historic moment uh, <laughs> and we'll have more to talk about next time. Um, we'll have gone through these drafts and sort of all of this, all of this previewing and chat, you know, is, is like, it's like dust in the wind. It'll be all irrelevant in, in approximately five days, but that's the way this goes. Um, <laughs> thank you so much party for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and to Blue Wire Podcast, our distributors. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Join us next week as we find out what the heck happened. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs)